pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, I realized that I've been avoiding talking about this California highway fire because, and see, i got to be careful. I have, I have family out there and, and friends out there, and Tom Perumian is from there, but I, I'm enjoying this story way too much, and I feel like it just makes me sound like an a-hole, but um, th- there's something about this I-10 story. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? The The other night, there was a huge fire under and then engulfing part of Interstate 10 between, like, L.A. and Santa Monica, I think. I'm pretty sure I know this stretch. I I think I've driven on it. And um, it was one of those fires like the one in in Philly that happened on I-95 in Philly where the, the fire was so intense that it didn't just, like, scorch the road. It it damage to the point of maybe destroying, compromising, I guess is the word they use, like the support beams and the underpinning of the highway decking. And this is the, the, I think I read the second most traveled road in the country. I'm pretty sure I read that. And it's like hundreds of thousands of cars go across it every day. And it's not just Los Angeles residents and school kids and people that work there, but it's, it's a lot of um, you know, truck-based transportation and and what have you. So they had this fire, and obviously now we're going to talk about it. And uh, it's closed the highway, and for some time now it will be closed. And uh, it, it turns out that they they said yesterday. I think that the news yesterday was they've determined that it was set. Um. But it turns out that under this highway, there were all these uh, homeless encampments. The, the original theory was that the homeless people maybe uh, were, were using propane, it's getting kind of cold, and that it got out of control or it caught fire or it exploded. And that may still have happened. That may have been part of what happened. But also there were all these pallets underneath the highway because and this this sounds crazy to me I, I don't know maybe i'm not a public works guy they they rent out space to store stuff underneath the highway so the underpasses are considered like oh we could make some money off this in fact they brag in california the politicians do that they are using that money for like green energy stuff and mass transit and they think they're very smart. So here's the combination. You've got homeless people burning propane. And these are, you know, let's be fair. Uh, not all these people are in their right mind or, or perhaps safety-minded. And then you've got wooden pallets with whatever is stored on them or in them. And so you've got under critical infrastructure, you have stored stuff and you have allowed people to camp out under critical infrastructure. 
Doesn't that sound like a third world setup to you? I mean, what, what, what kind of country would do that? What kind of country would let critical infrastructure and, and you have homeless people burning propane tires and barrels underneath it? Like, what, what, what are we doing here? What, what, what century are we in here? And that's what I mean. I, I, I almost feel like, I don't know, do I want to talk about this and sound like a jerk or, or what? But I, I realize it's terrible for people that live out there. And I was, I was thinking about my brother, and um, I don't think he really commutes a lot. But, I, you know, just anybody having to go anywhere. This would probably be the equivalent of us losing, like, the 35-1604 interchange or the uh, or over, over in the northwest side losing the I-10-1604 interchange or the Cloverleafs 281-1604 or something like that. Um, they voted for this, though. They voted for these people. They keep voting them in. In fact, they're they're voting crazier and crazier people in. Like Karen Bass, the mayor of Los Angeles, is a completely wackadoodle socialist. I mean, you you wouldn't put her in charge of anything important in the private sector. She's the mayor, and so you've got this situation where, um, you know, they're talking tough now about we're going to get to the bottom of this and. Uh, we're going to build it quickly, and we're waving all the red tape. Newsom had a news conference where he talked about how we're going to we're going to blow through all the regulations and the red tape, and we're going to fast track this thing, and we're going to get get it done. And there'll be no uh, bureaucratic, uh, you know, um, interference. But the problem is, th- the way you people are running that state is why this happened in the first place, and. Um, I feel bad. I'm kind of enjoying this because they they brought it on themselves. Who who runs a state like this? I mean, just doesn't it does it not seem obvious? Like, do not store flammable things under critical infrastructure or around critical infrastructure. Like, just don't do that. I, I'm not an expert, but I would think that would be a very good rule. Hundred percent of the time, no exceptions. And then this happens. You know, Trump complains a lot about um, how totalitarian countries can get things done faster and more cleanly because they don't have a lot of red tape and regulations and government doesn't get in the way. And and, And so to Trump's detractors, this becomes him wanting to be a dictator or wanting totalitarianism. But I, when I hear him say it, I, I hear a businessman who says, why can't we do things in this country with the directness that we used to and that other countries still do? I mean, other countries are building whole new cities because they don't try to please everybody and, and, and make regulations and put in you know, something for the indigenous people and something for the impacted communities and the vulnerable and the non-binary and that we got to save the transparent spider. And you, th- this is why we can't do things. And it's probably why some of the stuff that happens, like these crazy highway fires, happen. Because we've gotten away from just direct action. There's a term I read recently called Everything bagel liberalism. You know what an everything bagel is, right? 
So everything bagel liberalism is when you are trying to please every group in the society and you can't please any of them. And that describes a lot of the things we talk about on this show, right? Where you, you can never get all the, all the people on the same side. You can never make everybody happy. You know, your Bud Light or your Target or whatever. No matter how hard you try over here, you're offending people over there. And these people love you, but now these people hate you. And these people want to fight you. And these people are disappointed because you didn't go far enough. And it's, it's everything bagel. And, and we're not, um, this, we're the, we're the authors of our own troubles here. I mean, we, we're, we're the greatest country in the world. We're the most capable country in the world. We have incredibly talented people, incredible resources. We have more of everything than anybody. You name it. Human resources, natural resources. We've got it all. We are ham, hog tying ourselves with this, this sort of nanny state big government nonsense. In fact, you know, Newsom himself complained about this. He, he just did an interview, I think it was in the New York Times. I can't keep it all straight. Um, but I know I read an interview with him, and I was astonished at something he said. This is Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. He said that California, and this was before the highway fire, he said, we're not getting our share of the Biden infrastructure money and red states are doing much better. They're getting more of that money than we are because he said they have less regulation and um, red tape and fewer people who can veto a project. And it was an amazing statement because he was making the case for being a smaller government state. Like, if you recognize that that's a benefit, why are you doing the opposite? And it probably is. It's probably true. I mean, it, I'm sure DeSantis isn't going to go around bragging about this, but I'll bet you DeSantis can get the money and can spend the money from Biden more easily than Newsom can. Because there's more people that have to sign off and more boxes that have to be checked and more affected communities that have to be impacted and, and, and heard from and, you know. They had a news conference. They've had one every day since this fire. And there's like 20 people standing behind Newsom at the microphone because they gotta let, they gotta let everybody in on it. Every group, the BLM has to be there. Everybody has to be there. And it's like, no, it's just a, you're fixing a highway. Why don't we just put, let's just hear from the guy that's in charge of that. And all people want to know is uh, when we're going to get it done. When, when will it be open? And what do I have to do in the meantime? He, by the way, he made a, a crazy observation. Listen to this. This is, uh, I think this was yesterday, um, the news conference in California about the highway fire. Cut number five. Listen to this. I am intimately familiar with this site. Some of you may know that as well because you were with us uh, when we did a large-scale encampment cleanup right on this site in August of last year. Um, I personally participated in that. It was not a press conference. We were there actually doing the work of cleaning up this site. Thousands of sites across this state in the last year and a half have been prioritized with Caltrans. I am very mindful of the thousands that remain to be cleaned up all across this state. Now you know why uh, Kamala Harris sounds the way she does. It must be, it must be a California thing. It's just word salad. 
But I don't think I'd be bragging right now about the fact that I, I know that that underpass really well. I, I helped clean it out last year. Well, what, what, maybe you need to do that more often. Apparently, since you cleaned it out, it got cluttered up again, and, and now it's been destroyed. But it's just, it's, it's, you don't want to revel in the agony of our fellow Americans. Well, maybe I do, but you're a better person than me, and you don't want to. I know you don't, and I know it's, I sound unseemly saying this, but they voted for this, and they keep voting for it. And there doesn't ever seem to be a straw that breaks their camel's back, right? Like, no matter what. They'll reelect this if he doesn't run for president, and I think he will. They'll reelect this dude. They'll reelect Karen Bass. They won't. Nobody's head will roll. The same thing with we were talking what yesterday or the day before about the San Francisco alleged cleanup, where they didn't even really solve the problem. They just temporarily moved it, and people are irate. There, you heard on the on the TV news package that we played, and people are kind of skeptical and cynical about. But then they're going to vote for these dudes anyway. Do you remember Peter Thiel, the cap venture capitalist investment guy? He was a big Trump guy. Uh, Peter Thiel is kind of out of politics right now. But he also did an interview I read recently. I forget where it was. And he was making an interesting observation, and I re- remembered it when I was checking into this California story. So Peter Thiel was saying that um, right now in this country, all of our innovations are in... Kind of, I'm paraphrasing. He said it better, but we're kind of inventing stupid stuff. Like we're we're obsessed with inventing apps and uh, meta headsets and um, virtual reality, and um, we're not we're not inventing and innovating real world stuff. We're making things that sound kind of cool. I think the joke he said in the interview was, um, "We were promised flying cars." Like, not that we literally need our cars to fly, but the idea is that at one time we thought the future would hold big breakthroughs and solutions to major problems, and we would be, you know, knocking down the the, the barriers to greater prosperity and more people having enough to eat or having housing or, right? Like, we would be solving big human problems, and instead... We're spending all this money on on silly, stu- you know, pronouns and 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 new rainbow flag combinations. There's it used to be just one rainbow flag, and now there's like twenty of them. And we keep adding letters onto the LGBT, but but none of that helps anybody. We're not inventing anything. And and Peter Thiel was saying he's decided that for his purposes, he's only going to invest in things that are like tangible and and uh, you know work like stuff not concepts and and apps and uh gimmicks and he was saying adam's not i think he said adam's not bites or adam's not bits or something like that so anyway um yeah i mean the 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 california highway story and i i I really i wasn't sure how to come at it these uh, last couple of days it's just it's a story of people that have voted themselves into hell and you wonder if they will ever come around, or or is the coming around maybe all the Californians that are moving here and moving to places like Florida and Georgia and Tennessee, and like maybe that's it. Maybe maybe the the only people waking up aren't gonna 
dump Newsom and Bass. They're just going to live in a different state. And so the people that stay are the people that will keep them. The I-10 fire in L.A. is just, uh, it's, it's everything you need to know about California. Uh, between the San Francisco Apex story and that, um, this is where we're at now. This is what we've, we've turned into. Or, or maybe not all of us. Maybe, this is maybe what the blue state America has turned into. Because even Gavin Newsom seems to recognize that it is different. It works differently in the red states. What are your thoughts on that? 210-599-5555. And um, tell me I'm not the only one that just found this sort of weirdly satisfying. I just, I, I know it's I know it's not right. It's like that feeling you have after you've polished off the bag of potato chips. You you enjoyed it while you were doing it, but you, you don't feel right about it. You know, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, 210-599-5555. Um, saw this story of, uh, you know, there's been all this focus on the hospitals in Gaza <clears throat> and what's going on with them. And this was actually from the New York Times, uh, but it's also a story that Netanyahu told. At one point, that Al-Shifa hospital that everybody's talking about, at one point, Israel, uh, which has that hospital um, more or less surrounded, offered to deliver, to bring in um, fuel to power the generators to keep the lights on and operate the equipment in the hospital. And there was all this trepidation about fuel delivery because what if Hamas turns it into bombs or, you know, uses it to power their war-making machine? But it, it gets even better. The Gaza Health Ministry, which I, I don't even know if I believe is a thing. That sounds like a guy. I don't think there's like a whole ministry of health. But that's what they're calling it. The Gaza Health Ministry announced on X, this was Tuesday, that they would not accept the fuel. So here we are worrying that they'll take it and use it against Israel. But they said we won't accept it because, quote, taking this fuel would give Israel credit for allowing fuel into Gaza. So if I'm understanding that right, you would rather be in the dark, you would rather your babies suffered, you would rather not have your generators running, so that you can say you didn't take help from the Jews. Because that would be a public relations thing for Israel. So they rejected the fuel they've been demanding. Remember, the, the people marching in this country are, are putting it together like it's a humanitarian thing and the Israelis are committing genocide and they're, it's an open air, slow motion execution of, of Gaza. But you're saying you won't take the help you demand be given because it looks bad for you. This is like doubling down on bad government or doubling down on tyranny. I guess it's a little bit like California. Like we're not, we, we refuse to change our ways, even in the face of evidence that we have to. We will not concede that we have screwed up. We will not concede that we need help. We will not concede that there's a better way. 
So they said they would not take the fuel. Yeah, I've been thinking about um, these protests, and I want to run something by you that may sound a little crazy, and bear with me, but because one of the rhetorical questions I've asked it, a lot of people have asked it, when you look at the college campuses, when you look at the, the, the visceral anti-Israeli, anti-Jewish stuff in the streets, it's like, what, where did this come from? Where, why are people this full of hate? And now some people are saying, maybe they're not. And, and hear me out. Is it possible that what seems to have spun up out of almost nowhere in the last month has actually been a, a, a deep, diabolical kind of manipulation, like sort of a almost a mass brainwashing? Like, do the people ripping down the, the missing person posters or holding up the crude and um, vicious anti-Semitic signs at protests, do they even feel that way, or have they just been led and cajoled and um, tricked? Now, of course, you can't generalize. There, there are people that feel that way. There always have been. But the, the number of them, the turnout of them, the instant mob scenes you know you all of a sudden you got a hundred thousand people here and three hundred thousand people there and twenty thousand people in this college campus and it, it it almost seems more likely and i'm not taking away from the reality of anti-semitism but it almost seems more likely to me that we are watching one of the great managed manipulated choreographed instant just add water movements that we've ever seen that there are strings being pulled there's massive amounts of money there's uh subtle but effective use of uh, you know social media there's a lot of people who feel it necessary to not only stand against Israel, but let you know that they do. Like, it's, you can't, they can't shut up about it. They're like people on a diet, they can't stop telling you. You know, that, that, that makes me think these were not all people that felt this way like two months ago. These were not all people that thought this was important two months ago or wanted to be known for this. Like, this is what I want to be known. If you know nothing else about me, I, I want you to know that I, I stand with Hamas. Or I think the uh, from the river to the sea. You know, I think there's a lot of people chanting that slogan that just learned that slogan, don't you? So I want to kind of see what you think about that. Again, not all of them, but is a lot of this ginned up? And who's ginning it up? Because it, it's it has the potential to do damage to us. It, it it could be worse for us in the long run than even for Israel. Like Israel's going to do its thing, no matter what the protesters say. And they're winning, and they're not gonna let their foot off the bra- uh, off the accelerator pedal. I don't think. It almost looks to me like this thing was um, has been tasked or used to divide us. It's having the same effects that the George Floyd protests did, the Michael Brown protests did. It's coming out of nowhere, or it looks like it is. So we'll talk about that. 
210-599-5555. And let me start with, uh, grab a line, by the way, if you want to get in on this. So let me start with Rain on the Jack Riccardi Show. Rain, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just wanted to let you know that uh, we've had our own damaging pallet fire under infrastructure. Uh, the Brooklyn Avenue exit was damaged by a pallet fire from the homeless uh, mm. earlier in the summer, and it's still out of commission. And TechDot hmm. does not know when it'll be back in commission. Wow, I did not so, know that. Yeah, it's still. And, and the ambulance for the hospital are accustomed to taking that exit. Now they have to find new routes. Hmm. I think I, I think I have to say, though, the combination of homeless encampment plus letting people store stuff is particularly and uniquely stupid. Uh, that just seems like, why in the world would you think those two things should go together and then underneath infrastructure? I agree. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cases where homeless people accident. Uh, didn't they? Didn't they say that ho- probably homeless people burned down the? Uh, what was the big nightclub that just burned, Don? This summer, I'm trying to figure this spring. What was that? Was it? Was it Midnight Rodeo? Uh, yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was. The one on yeah, the one that the on huge Perimbital. huge fire right on Perimbital. Okay, and didn't they say there were probably some homeless people in there? Yeah, that so, is correct. You know that when a where like an empty warehouse or an abandoned building catches fire, that's that's a very common thing, and it it, it isn't always intentionally set. These people are just not in their right mind, and they're not actually they're not exactly following OSHA, and stuff happens. But the idea that you would have that going on—it's rampant in California. Then you would say, we're going to lease out the space. You know, one of the things that was being stored under the I-10 overpass? Hand sanitizer. Oh, there'd be nothing, no problem if that catches fire. It's just alcohol. Imagine that going up. And the people that witnessed it said this was like, this was like somebody was bombing the, the overpass. I mean, the, the fireballs and explosions and walls of flame and, you know, we you can you can you can call this a lot of things, but one of the things you have to call this is just relentlessly bad decision making. Bad decision making by the voters. Bad decision making by the people in in government. Doubling down on stupid. You know, now is not the time for Newsom to talk about, well, we're aware of encampments. We're, now we're all aware of them, dude, because of this. But you let it go on for years. You, you made excuses for it. You, you propagandized it, right? They would, when Trump was president, this was all his fault and nothing could be done about it. You're in Trump's America now. That's what MSNBC would always say. You know, you don't like it? Well, this is Trump's America. 210-599-5555. I, I was, um, I, I, I guess I didn't know this was going to happen. I was kind of caught off guard by the, what was it called, the March for Israel? This thing came together very quickly, and I, I didn't really know it was happening until the day it was happening. They had about uh, 250,000 people on the National Mall to, um, in a show of support uh, for Israel. 
and for Jewish people. And it was very different from all the other huge crowds that we've seen in the last month. There were no um, swastikas. Uh, there were a lot of American flags. No one was getting beat up. Uh, no one got, you know, hit in the head with a megaphone. Uh, people weren't hiding their faces behind masks and scarves. Uh, there was kind of a, a beauty to it. You almost forget that there can be large gatherings that are not scary, that are beautiful and inspiring. We used, we used to have a lot of those in this country. And it seems like lately the only kind of people who can turn out those kinds of numbers are the worst kinds of people. And this was a big event that was organized very quickly by a number of organizations. There were uh, Republicans and Democrats. Mike Johnson spoke, uh, I think, very well. Let me play a little of what uh, he had to say. Cut number one. These Israeli hostages were kidnapped in their homes by barbaric Hamas terrorists for simply being Jewish and living in Israel. As Prime Minister Netanyahu says so well, this is a fight between good and evil, between light and darkness, between civilization and barbarism. Barbarism. The calls for a ceasefire are outrageous. We stand with you in that. Hamas terrorists waged the bloodiest assault on Jewish lives since the Holocaust. And there are hundreds of hostages, many of them Americans, still stuck inside Gaza. Israel will cease their counteroffensive when Hamas ceases to be a threat to the Jewish state. Did you see the um, Fetterman was there? Senator John Fetterman was there. He, he had a... He, he was draped in an Israeli flag. I don't know what's going on with him, but did you see the video the other day? I don't think I sent it to you, Don, or did I? Of him walking past the Palestinian demonstrators. And they're, yeah, they're, they're like, uh, they're, they're cursing him out. And this is, this is weird to see like lefties, uh, getting mad at John Fetterman, but he waved just insolently. He just waved an Israeli flag right at them. Like, take this. I don't know what the whole backstory is on that. I don't know if this is how he feels, if he's just being contrarian, but uh it's I have to admit it's kinda cool to see. You know you know who else and you're gonna you're gonna hate me for saying this. You know who's been pretty much spot on during this? And it just goes to show anything's possible is Hillary. You'll never hear me say this. You'll never hear me say this. She's actually stated and defended a pretty commonsensical position. Uh, she wrote an opinion piece for The Atlantic called Hamas Must Go. She reviewed her own history uh, of you know doing diplomacy in the Middle East and what have you. And she points out that 
the, the people calling for a ceasefire ignore the fact that that's what there was before they attacked Israel. And um, so she was sort of defending Biden, but also holding his feet to the fire and saying, you can't, you can't have a ceasefire, you can't seek a ceasefire, um, because Hamas would say they won. Anything you give, any concession, any even halfway, partly, a little bit of one, they will uh, claim victory. Well, you can kind of see how important the appearance of things is to them by that uh, hospital fuel delivery story. But I, I got to admit, even when Hillary was on The View and those weirdos tried to push her a little bit, um, she is actually contradicting Obama uh, and a lot of other radical Democrats in this. So good for Fetterman, good for Hillary, um, and good for the people that made a showing on the National Mall. That is also who we are. I'm guilty of this, and I think a lot of people in the media are guilty of featuring and amplifying the worst. But, you know, when there's a protest somewhere, or even a riot or looting or what have you, we always forget about the 95, 96, 98% of people that we don't see in that picture because they're at work, they're at school, they're in their homes. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're doing what you and I do. They're just doing what good people do. And they don't, that doesn't make the news. You, you, you know, that stuff doesn't make the news. So it was good to have people who have not been making the news yesterday come out and make the news, I think. Remember when um, Greta first came along and you could not say even the most mild criticism or point out, holes in the argument because it's a child she's a child what's the matter with you what kind of a man are you are you even a man i mean it's okay if you're not because it's perfectly fine but remember we couldn't because everything she said had to be received with love and appreciation she's trying to save the planet and of course there was often junk science or flat-out inaccuracies in the stuff she would say but you couldn't you couldn't ding it because it was coming from a kid which i think was maybe the point of greta to be honest well now greta has gone from being pro environment to pro hamas and um now apparently that she's making excuses for the atrocities uh it's okay to call her out it's not forbidden anymore um and by the way, if she really cares about the planet, um, how in the world, I mean, Hamas sets everything on fire. What is their, what is their carbon footprint like? I mean, they're like, they're like John Kerry times a hundred. Like everything's burning and polluting and spilling and destroying, you know. But when you look at the, the suddenness and the ferocity of the hate Israel phenomenon, do you start to wonder, or have you been wondering maybe for a while? I, I've been wondering, is this really how all these people feel? And they just, October 7th was just like the moment they've been waiting for their whole lives. They could come out of the closet. They could drop the pretense. Did they all have like, you know, Palestinian flags furled at home? Or, you know, were, were there swastikas in their upper left-hand uh, drawer of their bureau? I mean... 
Because I'm thinking, when I look at the numbers and the turnout and the uniformity, and like the, the poster tearing down thing, that, that was all of a sudden, that was everywhere. It didn't have the chance to become a viral thing. It was just ubiquitous all at once. Do, do, do you think we're being manipulated? Is there someone or something using this to divide us? And not that they don't have an agenda for Israel, but the more immediate agenda is let's keep Americans at each other's throats. It were between elections. People are starting to coalesce around the idea that Biden is horrible. We don't want too much unity and unanimity. You know, you start seeing poll numbers that vast majorities of people in all three parties are starting to form the same judgment about him. We can't have that. So was this something that had to be fanned and fed to rip us apart? Not that it necessarily is doing that, but is that the intention of it, do you think? So that maybe maybe a lot of these people who are acting in ways we can scarcely imagine were not really deciding this on their own or acting under their own power. I, I really believe there's there are invisible hands at work, there are strings being pulled, there's certainly money is being dispensed, materials being distributed. Talked a little bit about the uh, freeway fire in California and uh, everything bagels. Uh, liberalism, which I also uh, I read is sometimes called um, abundance liberalism, where you're trying to um, give everybody everything, and you're not giving anybody anything. And the argument is that in places like California, it's hard to get things done, it's hard to govern, it's hard to to be practical because you are trying, people like Gavin Newsom are trying to appease and please way too many disparate groups instead of just saying, here's the problem, we're going to fix it, we're not interested in um, anyone's feelings about that, this is just what needs to be done. Everyone can see there's a hole in the sidewalk, we're going to fill up the hole in the sidewalk. We're not going to have impact studies, we're not going to pay reparations, we're not going to ask the indigenous people if the hole in the sidewalk is meaningful to them, we're not going to examine it from the standpoint of the environment or Israel-Hamas, or we're just going to fix the hole in the sidewalk. And this is what we used to do. This is how great public works projects, you know, this is how you get your Hoover Dam and your Golden Gate Bridge and your Empire State Building. And I, for a while, I remember I was into this, I, I went on this tear of reading books about, like, great construction projects. Like, there was a great book I read about the building of Rockefeller Center or the Empire State Building or great ships or, uh, you know, the building of great American companies like Boeing and Ford. And the this is what we were known for in the world. We were like, roll up your sleeves, get things done, people. The rest of the world had a hard time doing that stuff, partly because they didn't have, um, really, they didn't have an honest, straightforward system, right? There were way too many palms that had to be greased and factions that had to be pleased and in some countries, um, you had socialism or organized labor or whatever that was in the way, or you had maybe uh, 
different kinds of reactionary groups that were opposed to industrialization. Plus, you didn't have what America's always had the edge in, which is human and natural resources. We have a little bit of everything. And that's what Peter Zihan writes about in his book, The End of the World as We Know It, is that um, we're, we're a country that is better equipped than any other to survive post-globalization because we will be able to make stuff, grow stuff, produce stuff that other countries have to get from somebody else. Anyway, we we have a situation like what happened on the I-10 overpass, and and you look at why it happened, terrible decisions, in, insane politics, and then you look at what it's going to take to fix it, and you just know that before we're done, it will cost more and take longer and payoffs will be made. Think how many people are going to get rich off that. I mean, you know it's going to happen, right? Look at all the people that got rich off COVID. Oh, we need PPE. We need ventilators. A lot of people got rich. And a lot of ventilators never got used, right? And so we've talked a little bit about that. We've talked a little bit about Israel and Hamas and I, I find myself wondering, because I'm going to say, one one thing I'm going to make an assumption on is I don't think most of the people in most of those pro-Hamas or pro-Palestinian protests, I don't think they know much about their Middle Eastern history. I, I think you could stump them with a very basic map or a few basic questions. I think you'd quickly find out that they have a lot of passion or opinion, they don't have a lot of depth so I found myself wondering how did we get all these people how did we get this massive turnout and is it is it that there's a kind of person who can be turned out for any protest are these the is the same cast of characters that went to ferguson and then protested george floyd and then trump's election and then you know that may be it that may be part of it is it also possible that and it, I don't mean it has to be George Soros, but let's just say, is there a Soros-like cast of characters that have mobilized the mobs because that divides and weakens this country? And it creates, even in your mind, in my mind, we're not part of the mob, we're not joining any protests, but even for people like us who consume the news and this passes across our screens, it reinforces the idea that we are not together. And if you can convince Americans that we are not together, that we're a divided, civil war, waiting to happen kind of country, and you hear people say that, right? But if you can dispirit people and you can, you can convince them that we're really in bad shape. I mean, we don't have it together. We can't pull together. We're not the people we used to be. Then that weakens us as a as a factor and an actor on the world stage. It weakens us economically. It leaves us susceptible to more and more fraud and manipulation. I look at our country, and I think 
you and I don't really know what condition it's in. Because we experience neighbors and friends and coworkers who think like us and are what we think of as normal people. We don't agree on everything, but we agree on the stuff that's important, like our kids and individual liberty and live and let live. But then we look at the news or we listen to the news and we go, well, now apparently we're all divided and, you know, um, at each other's throats. And it's understandable you would think that. That's all you hear. That's all you see. What if somebody is making that and manufacturing that to kind of keep us in that state of mind? And so what if these people that are quite sure, I mean, they are at the top of their lungs sure that they hate Israel and the Jews are genocidal and Hamas is the hero, what if these people are just basically echoing and reciting? And I'm not saying they don't know what they're saying, but they've been fed it. Because, again, it's not going to change what Israel does. It, it just isn't. So when we say it's anti-Israel, on the face of it, it's anti-Israel. But maybe the effect of it is anti-American. Because it's, it's affecting our perception of ourselves, right? And I'm, I don't know if I'm explaining this right or if this sounds like a bunch of, like a guy off his meds or what. But anyway, that, that's something I've been thinking about. 210-599-5555. Here's a story. Uh, New York Post. Wall Street analyst has been fired after he was filmed telling a Jewish American to go back to your country while he, uh, covered up and tore down hostage posters. Freepoint Commodities confirmed in a statement uh, that the employee identified as Karush Mystery uh, has been, um, is no longer associated with the company and, quote, we don't tolerate discrimination and hate speech directed against any group. This is uh, a guy that was out with his girlfriend. Her name is uh, Shalija Gupta. And these are middle-aged people. They look well-to-do. They're not punk kids. And they're, you know, covering posters and tearing down posters of people held hostage. And then when some guy comes over and starts talking to them, they tell him it's none of your effing business, F off. He asks if they're proud of themselves. And the guy says, we're very proud of ourselves. And the woman's shooting the rod at him. And the guy is reciting all the slogans. Israel is an apartheid state, commits genocide. Why don't you go back to your own country? He says to the guy who replies, I'm an American. There just seems to be an awful lot of people that have suddenly and simultaneously gone off their rockers. Does it make you wonder if that's coincidence? Ask you to help us uh, wrapping with Jack this year. You can help with donations or gifts and dropping them off. Go to KTSA.com. Click on the wrapping with Jack button, which last time I checked is in the upper left-hand corner. And... Um, it's all there. If you want to just give money off your credit or debit card, we appreciate that. We love that. Uh, need that. Uh, if you want to shop the online list, they have like an Amazon wish. Well, it is an Amazon wish list. So you can pick things out. Um, maybe you're used to doing that anyway. So you can do that for Family Service Association. And the things you pick out will ship directly to FSA and go directly to those families. 
Or if you like buying things yourself, picking things out yourself, uh, there's a list of uh, items these families most frequently need, and you can drop them with our sponsor locations like Copenhagen Imports, Institute for Functional Health, River City Oral Surgery, Quarter Moon, Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. You can drop them at KTSA. You can bring them with you to Wrapping with Jack on the night of December 6th at Blue Bonnet Palace. So please help us out. Appreciate it if you've already done that. Getting very excited to see you on December the 6th. I um, I told this story today at uh, on the Just a Minute video at KTSA.com. I had a hell of a day Monday. I had a crazy day Monday. Let me just tell you the story real quick. I don't, I'm not trying to make this all about me, but Monday morning I wake up. I, I, I'm, my routine when I wake up in the morning, I wake up very early. Um, I like to check the news headlines even before I get out of bed. I just kind of know like where we're going, where we're at, what's going to be happening. It dictates the whole day, you know? So I turn on the phone. I start looking at headlines, and within a few minutes... This is like 6 o'clock in the morning, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Within a few minutes, the phone just dies. It just goes black screen. And it's fully charged, so that's not an issue. Um, it was dead. It was, it was completely fried. Something inside just went, let go. It's a five-year-old phone. I kept it way too long, which is another story. So uh, normally when you get a new phone... You bring in the old phone, they swap over, transfer, well, I don't know what the terminology is, but you know what I mean. They, they, they're able to transfer your apps, your history, your chats, your contacts, your photos, whatever, to the new phone. So other than learning a few new wrinkles in the new phone, you're, you're good to go and you proceed. It's not a big deal. It can be seamless. But here, I had two problems. One, I had not had a new phone in five years. In this day and age that we live in, five years might as well be 5,000 years. I was like unfrozen caveman lawyer. Remember that on Saturday Night Live, Don Cooper? Do you remember, remember unfrozen caveman lawyer with yes, Phil Hartman? I, I, I was like everything about the new phones, I couldn't, what? Huh? The people at the store were like, what, what is with this guy? But I'd had a phone for five years. I, I hadn't learned anything new. But the bigger problem was they could not power up the old phone. They tried all their tricks. They were astonished. And because they couldn't power it up, they could not salvage what was on it. I had some stuff backed up to the cloud. I won't get into the weeds with that. But bottom line, some things were saved. Most things were lost. A lot was lost. So th I'm going through this on Monday. Now, I don't know about you, but I do a lot with my phone for work and financials and buying stuff. And I had dozens and dozens of apps. And all of a sudden, with my Swiss cheese memory, I'm trying to remember usernames and PIN numbers. And I've got all these different emails. And I've used all these different passwords. Because, you know, they always say don't use the same password for everything, whoever they are. So I was in hell. I mean, I was just struggling and i was having to ask for a lot of help i had, i needed help at the, the phone store i was calling friends i was throwing myself at the mercy of people which i hate to do i have a hard time asking for help that's one of the hardest things for me i like to, i like to give help i hate to ask for help and on top of that 
I'm kind of worried because I've got this trip coming up and my plane tickets are on the phone and I've got to be able to, you know. So at one point on Monday afternoon, sort of semi-jokingly, semi-seriously, I'm like screaming at the sky, you know, like, what, God, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this? And, and I was. I was mad at God. I was mad at technology. I was mad at the phone company. I was, <laughs> just, you know, now just, it was not rational. I'm not saying that it is. I, I'm not telling you this so you'll be impressed with me. But then I realized, and you probably have already figured this out, it was very humbling. And that's why it was happening to me. I mean, Yes, it was happening to me because I kept the phone too long, but it was happening to me, or maybe it, maybe part of why it happened the way it did, if these things are by design, and I believe they are. I think everything that happens to us is probably in the you know already in the folder of our lives, right? I think it was like to remind me that you're not the master of the universe just because you have a smartphone. You know... These phones give us a sense of power that is pretty awesome. We can summon food to our front door, and we can order goods and services from all around the world, and we can have all this information and all this computing power, and it's very slick. And then it can all be taken away. This little black plastic device had suddenly become my, you know, like my downfall. And I thought, that's why it's happening. I need humility. I need to recognize. And I also, I started thinking about my mom, like she's 88 years old. And sometimes when I talk to her, she's really confused by the modern world, how things work. And I help her. We all do. There's four of us. And we, you know, but sometimes you, you, you're, you know, you might get a little impatient or wonder, well, why can't she figure that out? Or why can't she do that? Or why doesn't she? And I and and on Monday I think I felt the way she must feel every day. That all of a sudden the technology is just kind of daunting. I'm not in control of it. I don't understand it. I can't make it work. I mean, I'll get there. I'm getting there. It's, today's Wednesday. I'm 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 getting there. The phone and I are starting to get along, the new phone. But it really was a wake up call for me to be humble to understand that there's a lot of people that struggle with this stuff and um and also it's it's incredibly fragile you know there's something about smartphones that the way they are marketed to us is to make us more and more um dependent on them and that is seen as progress like, you can do that on your phone. There's an app for that, right? Remember that slogan? There's an app for that. And I'm not running down technology. I'm not being a Luddite or anything. But but it it is incredibly, it's a, it's a thin, thin thread that connects you to all of that. You know, they don't even know what went on inside that phone. They don't know exactly what happened. All they know is there was a total failure and it's a brick it will never come to life again they will never be able to activate it we're all like one moment away from that i guess right so that was that was an interesting experience it continues to be an interesting um 
experience. And um, it kind of felt like, do you remember your first cell phone? Of course, they weren't smartphones. They were just phones. But it was like starting all over again. I think I had my first cell phone maybe in like 95, something like that. And um, everything was a question. Everything was you needed help. Everything was, now what do I do? You know, (laughs) I mean, that's how it felt on Monday for the first time in a long time. Mr. Keyrock, are you ready to give your summation? It's just Keyrock, Your Honor, and yes, I'm ready. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm just a caveman. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. <laughs> Sometimes the honking horns of your traffic make me want to get out of my BMW and run off into the hills or whatever. Sometimes when I get a message on my fax machine, I wonder, did little demons get inside and type it? I don't know. My primitive mind can't grasp these concepts. But there is one thing I do know. When a man, like my client, slips and falls on a sidewalk in front of a public library, then he is entitled to no less than $2 million in compensatory damages. Unfrozen caveman lawyer. I always thought that was one of the funniest things I ever saw on Saturday Night Live. Great Phil Hartman, late great Phil Hartman. The Rappin' with Jack guy is here, and uh, don't forget, December 6th, we'll be out at Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma for our uh, big rapping event and live broadcast. Did you uh, see the news about how there is a growing, I don't know if I'm saying this right, there is a growing gap in life expectancy between men and women. I think I think you know that... For a long time, uh, women have lived longer than men. And when I was a kid, the way they explained that to us, and this will tell you how far back we're going, the way they used to explain that to us, like in school, was, well, men fight in wars and do more dangerous and physically demanding jobs. They're more likely to have a, you know, a anvil fall on them or die a violent or accidental death. And so that affects the average uh, lifespan. Imagine imagine the trouble you'd be in if you taught the kids that in school now. So anyway, the 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 gap is getting wider. Women are increasingly living longer uh than men, and the gap between men and women's life expectancy is now the biggest it's been in uh over 30 years. It's basically about 6 years. So the gender gap in life expectancy is widening. And I was thinking, um, isn't that an inequity? Shouldn't there be a, um, a government program? Shouldn't Joe Biden and Kamala Harris come out and announce that that is in, unacceptable? that men are an endangered species or uh, uh, a, a, an impact. They're an impact. What's the term? They're an impacted. 
community, and they need protection. Men need special protection. I am sick and tired of this female privilege of women living longer, outliving the men. Right? Who's with me? Let's get a march going. <laughs> Don't, I, can't, I can't set it up with my phone. Um, like, if it was any other group, if, if we found out that, that, that there was a racial disparity, an ethnic disparity, a gay-straight disparity in life, oh my gosh, we'd have a task force, we'd have a, a, a you know, a whole of government, uh, mobilization. They'd probably put, you know, Kamala in charge of it or Jill Biden or somebody. Sam Brinton, maybe, I don't know. But because it's just dudes, eh. um, No one has, uh, according to um, researcher Dr. Brandon Yan at the University of California, San Francisco, no one really knows why. He says there's a lot of research into the decline in life expectancy in men, but no one has systematically analyzed why the gap between men and women has been widening for the last about the last 15 years. Um, life expectancy in the United States as a whole went down uh, in 2021 for the first time in a long time. It had been going up and up and up, and it started to go down. But the gap between men and women has widened to the widest margin it's been at since the uh, early 1990s. And I think we, um, I think we have medical sexism here. I think we... We obviously need um, a big federal government initiative in men's health. Is that even a term, men's health? I know it's a magazine, but you notice that like men's health is not even a cause that anyone identifies with or is a thing, right? Um, and, and I understand. I I, I get why. I, I because you people had it so good for so long, and it's a male oriented society, and where we we have to address the inequity. But what if we've over addressed them? I mean, if that gap continues to widen, wouldn't that suggest that we have overcompensated for women's health? I don't know if we're capable of climbing down from the position that women and girls will always be oppressed. Like, there's no way to acknowledge progress. There is no way for the people that preach this stuff to ever come out and say, well, you know, um, it was true, but we think we've turned it around. We think we've evened it out or close to it. It might be time to start dialing back. No. There's no way to climb down from stuff like that. Sort of with when we've talked in the past about affirmative action. It's very easy to be for affirmative action, but no one wants to be the first one to say, um, I don't think we need it anymore. I think we've, I think we've achieved what we were trying to achieve. So just letting you know, when I'm not here anymore, <laughs> that's why. Um, did you see, speaking of uh, women and health, did you see the story about Megan Rapinoe? Am I saying her name right? Rapinoe or Rap? Is it Rapinoe? Do you know, Don? Is it Rapinoe or Rapinoe? I never know. The soccer I player. is Rapinoe. Rapinoe? Okay. I'm going to go with Rapinoe. 
Uh, she's not one of my favorite people, and I normally don't pay a lot of attention to her news. But anyway, she um, the other day she was playing in what I guess was going to be um, one of her swan song soccer games. I don't follow soccer much, so forgive my ignorance on this. But I believe she was wrapping up her career, and she sustained an injury like in the first few minutes of the game and had to stop playing. And um, it was very frustrating for her and her fans because they hoped to see her play the whole game. And at the end of the game, when they had the post action news conference, whatever you want to call it, post-game news conference, um, she was um, talking about how she was going to get um, the Aaron Rodgers procedure, and she was even going to see if she could get the same doctor Aaron Rodgers had, which is fine. And uh, then she said, I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God, like this is proof that there isn't. I'm not a religious person or anything. And if there was a God, like this is proof that there isn't. This is effed up. It's just effed up. Six minutes in and I eat my Achilles. I know it's frustrating to be an athlete. You know, your your body is uh, way more important to you than like mine is to me or probably yours is to you. But imagine thinking because you are running around chasing a ball and you tore a muscle, that that means there's not a God? Imagine the, I don't know what to, is that hubris? Is that narcissism? What would you, it's inanity, right? I mean, it's just like, it's a non sequitur. There must not be a God. Because I tore my Achilles. And I even thought, well, if it was somebody else, I would think, Okay, that was just like gallows humor. But she's she takes herself pretty seriously. So I I would imagine she probably really thinks that she was meant to stay healthy and there can't be a God if something like this would happen. It's interesting. And she's, of course, a big-time leftist bully and anti-Israel and all. <laughs> she's just, she checks all of our favorite uh, boxes. But I would just say, you know, the world is a lot bigger than you or me or Megan. There's a lot more going on. And yes, there is a God. And he's got all kinds of plans and they overlap and overlay and they are in spite of our intentions what's the old saying you know um life is what happens while you've made other plans so maybe while she's laid up and we wish her a speedy recovery maybe she'll rethink that position or that attitude but what a thing to say i don't need you to be a religious person but boy god doesn't exist because i tore my achilles Okay. A lot to think about while you're resting up there, Megan. Speaking of athletes, we have this story about uh, Megan Rapinoe. I read a story about uh, Patrick Mahomes. Did you know this? Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs. 
um, has, um, he claims, worn the same lucky pair of underpants for every single one of his games since he got to the NFL. He says he's worn the same undies since the beginning of his rookie year with the Chiefs. So that's, I think, I think he's six years in. And he only washes them occasionally. He says his wife got them for him. I don't know what color they are. Probably red, right? Chiefs. says uh, he only washes them occasionally. So I wonder if when, when the other team sacks Patrick Mahomes, they have to hold their breath. We got stacks and stacks of wax and wax. We got to pick the click the ones to watch the oldies but goodies and oldies but gooies. We got the top 700 records. Next week it'll be a golden oldie. Let's hear it. In the month of Thanksgiving, we're going to count down the top ten records to be thankful for. Collectible vinyl is what we're all about. With our next guest, we welcome back to the show on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, the records guy, Mighty John Marshall. John, welcome back. Good evening to you. Good evening to you, Jack. Great to be back with you. Up there in the great state of Maine. What's the what's the outside temperature in Maine tonight? Uh... 30. All righty then. <laughs> no yard sale. I think it's I think it's 30 in my deli drawer. So there you go. Um We're going to talk collectible vinyl and you can call and ask about a record you're holding in your hot little hands right now. Maybe you have an album or a 45. Uh maybe it's one that you love or maybe it's one that you just remembered you have and you dug it out of the back of the closet, but could it be worth something? Uh, to people who collect these and 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 buy these uh, on eBay and whatnot, uh, this is the man who knows. He maintains an extensive uh, record values list and a website uh, for this hobby called MoneyMusic.com. It's a very fun website. You should check out. Um, and the phone number in here is two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. If you've got a records question. From Mighty John. So we're going to count down these. These are the top ten records to be thankful for. These are valuable, collectible pieces of vinyl, starting at number ten with an old, early Elton John. Well, his very first forty-five released in the U.S. called Lady Samantha. Current value up to five hundred dollars. Wow! I yeah. and um, have you ever come across one of those? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's on a label called DJM Records. Most of his records are going to be on MCA or Universal, but this right. one on DJM Records, Lady Samantha. Back when he was just starting out. All right, number nine, uh, top ten collectible uh, records. Number nine, uh, Rare Earth. Rare Earth. They had a couple of big hits back in the 70s, Get Ready, and I Just mm-hmm. Want to Celebrate. Their album, Rare Earth Generation, on the Rare Earth record label. Current value up to five hundred dollars. Right, we got Chuck Berry at number eight. What's the story here? Yeah, everything by Chuck Berry's worth money. After school session, one of his albums containing his hit School Days. Current value for the album up to six hundred dollars. And we say up to because condition, very, very important, not only yeah. of the vinyl, but also of the cover. 
All right. Number seven on your countdown is the one we just heard by Springsteen, his version of Blinded by the Light. Well, Manfred Mann had the big hit, but Bruce wrote it and had his own version, and he's the one that's got the most money. Uh, Blinded by the Light, that 45 on Columbia Records with its picture sleeve, currently up to $1,500. We should mention the the reason you're emphasizing picture sleeve and with picture sleeve is that um, a lot of people, a lot of times the vinyl, which was hard, you know, durable, survived. But the picture sleeve, which was flimsy paper, did not, and collectors are really hot to get those picture sleeves. Yeah, they were tougher to uh, maintain, and uh, usually you put them on the wall, maybe put a thumbtack in the wall and held the picture sleeve, and over the next month or so it would disintegrate. So, yes, the picture sleeves are very collectible, and in most cases they are worth more than the actual record itself. Now, here's a dumb question. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes 45s came in a kind of generic sleeve that just had, right. like, the logo of the record company. Are those at all collectible? Uh, no, no. Uh, the logo. I figured that are, was a dumb question. No, not a dumb question, but it's a good question. Most sleeves uh, were very plain, and many came with the radio, uh, I mean, the record company logo, but the ones that came with the picture of the recording artist, that's where the money is. Yeah, and uh, you were even saying that there are people that will just go for that. Yeah, there are collectors that just collect the picture sleeves. Uh, one of the reasons is they're so easy uh, to mail, and they're not going to break in the mail like a record oh. might. And so uh, a lot of, of collectors deal just in the picture sleeves. Number six on our top ten countdown is a Leonard Skinnerd record. Very first 45 of them called Michelle. It is not the same Michelle as the oh. Beatles put out. Different, okay. different Michelle altogether. But find a copy, no picture sleeve involved. Just the forty-five, currently up to fifteen hundred dollars. Wow! How about that? Um, we're going to get back to that countdown and uh, talk about some collectible vinyl, and we're going to answer your questions for Mighty John. You can uh, ask right here at two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five, or you can email me your question if you'd rather do that, and I'll ask him for you, Jack at KTSA dot com. And let me get Tony in here with a question for John on the radio. Hi, Tony. Hey, how's it going, Jack? Hey. Hey, I've, I've got introducing the Beatles, and on the songwriting credit, instead of Lennon-McCartney, it says McCartney-Lennon. Is that a mistake, or is that the way they were done? Well, this is one of the most counterfeited albums of all time. So here's what, there are 15 original variations of the album. But to tell a counterfeit from an original, look at the record label. If it's an original, the words, the Beatles, will be above the hole in the middle of the label, and introducing the Beatles below the hole. If introducing the Beatles and the Beatles are both above the hole, it's a fake. And there are more fakes on the market than there are originals. Originals can range anywhere from $350 to $20,000, depending on various factors uh, on the record. But the McCartney-Lennon, Lennon-McCartney thing does not affect value. So hope you have an original. And uh, yeah, if if the back cover is completely blank and doesn't list the titles, that's a big one to look for. That'd be up to about ten thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're all very right, welcome. Tony. I'm hoping. I'm hoping you're in that five figure range. Uh, <laughs> based on what, now that sounds like its own. That sounds like it's a, a whole story all by itself. Fifteen well, different variations. Well, in 1963, it first came out in 1963. In the fall of 63, by the uh, winter of 64, three months later, um, the fakes were out, and so. 
Uh, that's why a lot of people think they've got an original. They say, I bought it back in 1964. Right. Well, he's, you could have bought a fake. So right. those are the ways to tell. Above the hole, both the title and the artist, that's an original. Separated by the hole in the middle of the record, that's counterfeit. All right. 210-599-5555 with uh, collectible vinyl questions from Mighty John Marshall. And uh, Bill is on the radio. Hi, Bill. Hello there, Jack. Did you have a question, Bill? Yeah, uh, I've got the uh, Van Halen, Looney Tunes, Mary Milsey's red vinyl, bought in 1978. It's sealed, but it's uh, never been played. Well, I think you've got an import, or maybe it's a bootleg. Uh, there are no original red vinyl Van Halen albums. The most valuable Van Halen album uh, came out uh uh, in ni- the same time, 1984, the same time Jump did come out, it came out on another label uh, other than uh, Epic that Jump was no, on. This, Find that- this was from uh, uh, um, uh, from Warner Brothers, because my father-in-law used to work in Dallas for Warner Brothers, and he had a bunch of these. Well, I know and that... that uh, on, uh, on eBay, they're going for like $900. Yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with it. I, you may be referring to, there's red vinyl of Sammy Hagar, uh, who's no, one of the leads. Okay, well, he was in Van Halen. Um, yeah. But I, I am not familiar with that particular one that you're talking about. If you want to send me an email, I'll do the research on it for you at no charge and get back to you. So just go to moneymusic.com and send me an email. Oh, I'm quite aware of it. All right, thank you, John. All okay. right. Thank you, Bill. That's very interesting. Um now, how would you how would you research something like that? Well, I I will research it going to other collectors and uh, you know who I who are big Van Halen collectors that I know oh okay and we'll we'll do it that way. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe a special promotional record that went to radio stations. Uh, I don't believe it was sold in the public, but I'll do the research. I always thought it was weird when I worked in music radio that they would bother to send us. Stuff that was like you know printed on colored vinyl or transparent vinyl, whatever. It's like we're we're just playing it. I mean, no one's going to see it. <laughs> like, what? How's well, that going to? That's not going to influence the decision to put it in your you know rotation. Oh, it's on red vinyl. Uh, we'll we'll play that. You know, but they would do that, and I guess it was just to sort of tickle your fancy or make it memorable, right? Well, to get your attention, you know, you get a lot yeah. of records coming yeah. in, you know, you're going through them all, you see black, oh, what's this thing's of red, let me look at this one, and, no. you know, no. that's the main reason. They of never course, sounded that any better than black wine. That, yeah, that, we were very professional and, and dispassionate, that nothing like that would have ever swayed us. Come on, <laughs> are you kidding me? Now, now, concert tickets, on the other hand, yes. <laughs> now you're, those can come in any color. There's another side of the Beatles. So many different sides. Uh, we're counting down the top ten records to be thankful for in the month of November with Mighty John Marshall. We call him the records guy. 
he's a collectible vinyl uh, dude with um, a website, moneymusic.com, which uh, celebrates the, the, I guess you could say the hobby or maybe yeah. just the, is, for some for some of us, I mean, I just like, I have a lot of records. I can't honestly say I made a hobby out of it, but a lot of right. us, I think, just wind up with them, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, for, in different ways. And John helps you figure out what they're worth if you are interested in selling them to collectors. You can go to moneymusic.com. You can look into getting his price guide. Or right now, you could call and ask him a question at 210-599-5555. Um, let's finish our top ten here before we go back to the phones. Number Number five on your November list is is a Nirvana record. Okay, I'm going to hear about this. Yeah, Love Buzz. This is a 45 on Sub Pop Records, 1988. Love Buzz with picture sleeve up to $1,500. I feel and like I that's think, a little before we knew about Nirvana or Yeah, all of right us in the beginnings, yeah. yeah. But okay. I didn't find an answer for you on that Van Halen. You know, we have over a million records listed in our database. And mm-hmm. so I was checking it during the break. I think the record he was referring to uh, was put up by Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, subdivision of Warner Brothers. Red okay. Vinyl came out in 78. We listed at $100. $100. All right. Yeah, so. um, Frankie Ford at number four, Sea Cruise. Great song. Let me take you on a Sea Cruise. Now, the regular 45 worth may be up to 40 to $50, but the big money for the 78. They made 78s mm-hmm. right up until 1960. On the 78 Frankie Ford Sea Cruise, $2,000. Nice. Uh, we got David Bowie at number three. We got big names here. Well, his very first 45, Can't Stop Thinking About You, also on Warner Brothers. No picture sleeve, just the record, currently up to $3,000. I got to say, I've, I've heard that song, and it is so different from what you uh, yeah. associate, <laughs> the sound you associate with it. It was like he hadn't become David Bowie yet. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, he was. Well, his real name was uh, Davy Jones, but he had to change it to Bowie because then we mixed up with a monkey. So, you wouldn't want that. No. Um, Elvis Presley. Uh, everybody's talking about the Priscilla movie, and Elvis is on this list at number two. Why this version of Little Sister? Number one hit for Elvis. The regular forty-five worth up to about fifty dollars with its picture sleeve. The big money for the seven-inch thirty-three. Same size as a 45, but playing at the speed of an album, oh. and it will have that ma- small album hole in the middle of the record. Yeah. So, 7-inch 33, Elvis' little sister, with its picture sleeve, up to $12,000. What the what? Why would they, was it just a just like a gimmick to make something that was the size of a 45, but played at the 33 speed? Well, back in the early 60s, somebody had a bright idea that they would eliminate the 45 as a speed on turntables to save money in the production of turntables. But by that time, so many people had 45s, they wouldn't be able to play that the idea was abandoned rather quickly. Kind of like, you know, New Coke and Edsel and (laughs) things like that. Equally great idea, yeah. (laughs) So 7-inch 33 is what you want to look for on Little Sister. Now, you think 12000 sounds like a lot of money. The number one song on this countdown could be worth up to $30,000. What's this? And it's a song that was on that Introducing the Beatles album we talked of earlier. Anna, Ask Me Why on the flip side. This is a 45, no picture sleeve on VJ Records, current value, as you say, up to $30,000. These were not promotional records, but they were listed as special releases. 
that were mostly sent to radio stations. So we ask ourselves, how many AM radio stations were playing the Beatles back in 1964? And we estimate between 3,000 and 3,500. So that's probably how many were actually sent out. And, and you, you know, one, I think it's almost, it's, it's, almost, um, it's almost more interesting to think about what happened to radio station records than yeah. what happened to privately owned records. I mean, there's no telling, like, if you, let's say there were 3,000 of them or something, yeah. there's no telling yeah. what happened to those, right? Well, no, I mean, they're somewhere what, where they got thrown out. It wasn't out a hit. And yeah. you you know you're always you're always trying to clean out those shelves and make space and right you it just yeah the, the odds that there are any of these left yeah I can see why it would be worth a lot of money if you found one um, all right mighty John we're gonna take a few more questions for him two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five and uh, Michael is on the radio hi Michael hi am I in the air yes sir oh yeah I have a question I heard. Uh, years ago, that uh, the most valuable forty-five ever found was a, uh, a forty-five from the Velvet Underground, and they found it in New York somewhere or something like that. And, well, the, and how, go ahead. Well, as we say, the most valuable uh, Velvet Underground forty-five is called All Tomorrow's Parties, and yeah. the value was just for the picture sleeve at five thousand dollars. Wow. Okay, well, I heard about this. It was on the news and everything. It was, an, it was a story, a news yeah. story. So I was wondering, so old Velvet Underground records, are they worth anything, like the Banana album and stuff like that with a sticker? Are they worth anything? Yes, they are. They That one with the uh, Banana sticker can go up to around $500. Really? Wow. Yes. And, and another thing, uh, I'll try to be quick. When I was a kid, I had this, it was like a thing, a bunch of 45s. Like all in the thing, you unfolded it, and it was a bunch of forty fives from the Sex Pistols. And is that worth anything now? Uh, nothing really big for the Sex Pistols. Uh, so, n- to the best of my knowledge, you're not looking too much more than ten dollars per record. All right, Michael. Thanks for those questions. Um, is there such a thing as the most valuable forty five ever? Or do we even know? Would we even know? Well, yes, and next month, Jack, I'm going to have the five (laughs) records that I would like to be found under my tree this Christmas. Okay, all right. Okay, I like that. I like the you didn't lose your you didn't lose your ability to front sell uh, from back in the day. All right, I like that. Coming up next month, (laughs) the five records under my tree that I would love to find total a hundred thousand dollars. We will definitely want you back for that. Um, okay. Let's see. Let me get Stan's question in here on KTSA for Mighty John Marshall, the records guy. Hello, Stan. Hello. How are you all doing this evening? Good, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. I've got a question, and I just got in the car about 10 minutes ago, so hopefully somebody didn't ask about this about 15 minutes ago. But I've got a Dave Mason alone together that's got the splatter. Instead of just a colored, it's just like a splatter yep. color. With, with the yes. big trifold album cover, and then I've also got the Jay Giles Band Bloodshot, Bloodshot. the red yeah. vinyl. Uh, oh, yeah. Are those? Are those? I mean, and, and I, I like those so much. I've got both of those on CD as well. So, but but both of them have been played a lot. Uh, the album covers aren't in perfect shape, but I'm just curious. When I heard the the, the topic, I was just wondering what those might be worth. Well, uh, Dave Mason should be on Blue Thumb. That's the label you want to look for. And that's called Marble 
vinyl, marble colored vinyl. Okay. That, that's what that's it's referred it. to. It's not a big collectible. It's up to about $30. Jay Giles, okay. Bloodshot, uh, red vinyl. Uh, most of them were red vinyl, so that's not going to make it a big uh, collectible here, up to about $25. Okay. Okay. All right, Stan, thank, thank you for those. You have good taste in music. I like both of those. Yeah. I'll tell you, that, that, that Giles album is like bar music to me. That's like yeah. you. Oh, absolutely. That's, that is music to drink by. Before we let you go, and the website is moneymusic.com, Dave had a really good question. He emailed me to jack at ktsa.com. He said, what kind of music does John listen to? I listen to records that are worth the most money, okay? <laughs> you do not either. <laughs> Well, like what you're, current, you're driving along, or you put some yeah. music on at the house. What is, what is your what is your taste <laughs> run to? Well, I like uh, Jay Giles. I like ACDC. I like all the uh, real hard banging rock and roll. But I have a particular fondness for uh, rockabilly records that came out well oh, in the fifties okay. and early sixties. So, so classic rock and rockabilly is what we would hear yeah. coming yeah, out your you windows. Hear. Yeah, that's right. Blasting. Although not tonight because it's thirty degrees. So. <laughs> All right. Well, John, it is always good to have you on the show. People love it. I love it. And we appreciate you. And yes, please come back next month and be well until then. All right, Jack. Thanks. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You as well. And moneymusic.com to find out more about what he does. And they do like a record of the day feature on there. So it's a fun, it's a fun website to spend some time on. Uh, this half hour, we'll have the results on the JR poll. We always run out of time with Mighty John, but just so you know, um, go to moneymusic.com. You can email him through there. And if you have a lot of records, and I'm not shilling for him, but this just makes sense. If you have a lot of records, it would probably be a good idea to get his... Um, it's a price guide. I think it's on a memory stick now. It used to be on a CD-ROM. But it, it's basically a... Um, a master guide uh, for hundreds of thousands, if not more than a million records. And that way you could go through your collection at your leisure and figure out prices. And and a lot of people would say, well, you know, if it's $10 or $20, I'm just keeping it. You know, I like these records and I listen to them and stuff like that. Um, but if you happen to find that inadvertently or unbeknownst to you, you had something that collectors are willing to pay like $500 for or Two thousand dollars worth, and I think in the past we've had callers call in and find out, yeah, that they had something worth thousands of dollars. They had no idea it was under the bed, it was in a cardboard box behind their shoes in the closet or whatever, and thousands of dollars, right? It's good to know, good to find out. All of that at moneymusic.com. See if this sounds familiar to you. See if this sounds the least little bit familiar to you. The mayor of New York City has an idea. He has come up with an idea to make schools safer. And um, see if you've heard this before. What if, he says, we asked parents to be volunteer security? 
at the public schools. What? I never, whoever thought of that? Of course, we. if I had a nickel, seriously, for every caller who has ever said that on our show, Don, we could, you, you and I could both retire, not together, but separately. How many times have we heard people say, why don't they have the parents? Why don't they have the dads? Why don't they have the veterans? Why don't they have the off-duty police? Why don't they let people who know a little bit about firearms and know how to handle one and be defensive? We're, we're there. We're right there. We're right under their nose. These politicians keep thinking they have to reinvent the wheel. Who'd be more motivated to keep a, a school and, and its grounds uh, defended than somebody with kids in the school? Eric Adams just came up with this. And then I started thinking, well, now, wait a minute, Mr. Mayor. Why would I want to um, volunteer in your city? I mean, wasn't Daniel Penny kind of a volunteer? The guy on the train? And look how he got treated. Look at the thanks Daniel Penny, the Marine, got for stopping a violent wackadoodle on a subway car. He's under indictment. So you you, you have to wonder, like, will people... I know around here it's a no-brainer. Yes, dads and moms and even people that maybe don't have kids in school but are like, hey, I'm available, I'd do it, I'd gladly do it. But you see, you don't get the same kind of volunteerism and willingness if you treat people who take the initiative like they are the problem. So if Eric Adams is serious about this, and I have no idea if he is or if he's just talking out of his you know, butt cheeks, but if he's serious, he better have a talk with his own DA, and he better have a talk with his own city council, and he maybe he better have a talk with himself, because... You can't be decrying vigilantism and then five minutes later say we, we need parents to lean in and step up. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that there is a gradual, what would you call it, sort of, you know, coming around going on in this country. We were talking earlier, uh, if you weren't with us in the four o'clock hour, we we're talking about the, the freeway overpass fire and, in Los Angeles, and how there seems to be the beginnings of a realization in the blue states that smaller government is the only way we're ever going to get anything done, that it is virtually impossible. There's a, there's a term people are using called uh, everything bagel liberalism, where liberals are realizing that if they have to please every constituency group, if they have to placate, if they have to tiptoe, if they have to stroke, Every so-called victim group or hyphenated group in the society, you can never do anything. It takes all your time, all your energy. It's impossible to to build anything, fix anything, solve anything. So even the Gavin Newsoms of the world, although I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime, but even they are starting to wonder if maybe the red states have it better because they can act more directly. Well, Eric Adams' idea is the right idea, but it will never happen in a city that punishes 
the Daniel Pennies. 210-599-5555. I was um, speaking of it, I, I, I saw a thing, I forget where I saw it, where um, somebody was looking at some of the new, and I've seen these, and I think I know what they're talking about. There's some new recruitment advertising for the military that's almost throwback. You know, the, the in recent years, the U.S. military's public posture has been very woke and stressing diversity. And, you know, if you look at their recruiting and their marketing, it looks like United Colors of Benetton. And now um, that they're struggling and not making their numbers, um, it's almost like they're going back to or admitting to themselves that, yeah, the, the, the modern military isn't going to come from every group, from every demographic. Um, it's going to disproportionately be white males from the South and the Midwest. And not that you're telling anybody because of your ethnicity or your race you can't join, but if you're trying to recruit, you need to be real about where the recruits come from. So maybe, maybe they are starting to do that. It's what it looks like anyway. So uh, JR Poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Are you in the raisins or no raisins camp? It's hard to be neutral about raisins. People either love them or hate them. Where are you on raisins? 59% say no raisins. Don't want them in their cereal. Don't want them in their toast. 41% say Let's have the raisins. It's supposed to be good for you, right? They are. They're supposed to they be are. regular and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's right. Um, you like raisins? Raisin I do. Guy. I do. I, yeah, yeah. In fact, I even yeah. like raisins in my cereal as well. Yeah. 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 Today is also National Raisin Brand Day, as it turns out. I did not know there was a day for that. But I there love is. my raisin brand. I bet you do. I, I can do. see that, Don Cooper. I <laughs> can see you listening to your Bose Wave radio and, listening and having your having your race. <laughs> in fact, I even have a box of Raisin Bran Crunch. Look at you. That's my favorite right there, yeah. Tonight, it, he'll be uh, fixing himself some rice <laughs> Um I wonder if it's the texture, maybe. You know, well, but... I don't like the way they get caught in your teeth, for one thing. Because when you eat raisins, you know, they don't... They kind of linger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Okay. They kind of get all gummed in there, right? Yeah, I guess so. They're not easy to, yeah. But I, it, you know, I'll, uh, on certain things, I, a good raisin bagel once in a while is nice or stuff like that. I do like raisin bread. What about sometimes. raisin bread? Raisin bread is okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's, I like it. I guess I'm not big for adding raisins, but if they're already in it, I'll, I'll go along with it, you know. Um, 59% no raisins, 41% uh, raisins. So you're a, you're a breakfast minority on this one, Don. I even like um, pineapple on my pizza, too, as well. Oh, I'll see, not, you had that. to go there. You had to go there. <laughs> those, are just, those are fighting words, and you know they are. Um, saw a story today about, there's always a story in the news about some crazy thing that happens on a plane, right? Somebody acts up or melts down. A 747 uh, flying from uh, New York to Belgium forced to return to JFK after a horse got loose. I did not know that was even a thing. 
I mean, I guess it would have to be. How are you going to get the horses around? But uh, it was a cargo flight, 747. It was at 31,000 feet when the pilot radioed air traffic control that a horse had escaped its stall and they needed to return to JFK. This happened last week, according to the website Flight Radar 24. Uh, pilot said um, the, the plane was okay, but there's no way to re-secure the horse in flight. So they had to make a return, dump some fuel, fly back, have a, a, a vet present to meet the flight. Uh, the horse is okay, and they were able to take off a short time later. I wonder if the horse um, saw someone that wasn't real. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help it. I just, that's where my mind went. Um, poor horse. They don't know what's going on. I, 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 but I have to admit, like, I've heard of snakes on a plane. I didn't, it didn't occur to me that there'd be a horse on a plane, but of course there would be. I mean, that's probably how they transport a lot of horses. Um, you cannot bring a horse with you on the plane. I know that. So we were mentioning the, um, I want to play this for you because it's kind of, kind of shows where his mind is at. We were mentioning the uh, the big rally for Israel that happened yesterday on the National Mall. One of the speakers at the event, to show that it was bipartisan and there were Republicans and Democrats standing with Israel, one of the speakers was Senator Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader. Listen to his Freudian slip, or is it, when he talks about the attack on Israel. Listen to this. So the minute... I heard of what happened in January 7th. I knew I had to go to Israel. As the first-ranking Jewish Senate 7th. Majority Leader, in fact, the highest-ranking Jewish elected official mm. in American history. Listen to him. I'm the highest-ranking Jewish American official in history. No Jew has ever gone higher than me. All right, enough already. But yeah, January 7th, you can't tell me... Guys like Schumer are are not obsessed with J6. They cannot stop thinking about it. On that note, hope you will remember us too. Uh, listen to the podcast anytime. Go to KTSA.com or join us live tomorrow here at 4.